Genre. Welcome to Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where we are swimming through Disney's The Little Mermaid one minute at a time. I'm Kestra Dorowski. I'm Andrew Dorowski. And today we are joined by Scott and Ricey Joe from uh, the popular YouTube uh, channel, Scott Ricey Joe. Uh, is that right? <laughs> yes. It's it right? Scott okay. and Ricey Joe. <laughs> Scott and Ricey Joe. Yeah. Okay. Yep. We are discussing Minute 16. Which begins with the camera panning down through the cavern, showing hundreds of human stuff. It ends well, with... Actually, actually uh, things. Human things? Yeah, stuff is, is a non-count noun. Okay, human things. Lots of human stuff, a non-count um, you know, descriptor. But if it's hundreds, then it has to be a, a count noun. Uh, that, uh, that's true. <laughs> hundreds of noise, you know, it's like... <laughs> stuff, things, that's countable. And this minute ends with Ariel saying, you want thingamabobs? Minute 16 of The Little Mermaid features what Ariel. What will her response be? <laughs> <laughs> minute 16 of The Little Mermaid features Ariel staring at the dinglehopper and not understanding what's so bad about it. And Ariel singing about all of her human stuff, all of her, her human, human things, things in, this in the cavern. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we should let our, let our guests... Uh, have a moment to to say their piece. You guys are from YouTube. You do a number of of things on there. Why don't you uh, describe it for our listeners? That's correct. Yeah. Thanks for having us here. We're excited to be doing this with you guys. So my wife and I, I'm Scott. My wife is Ricey Joe. Um, we, uh, we do YouTube. Uh, I'm an acapella producer. Uh, so I was with an acapella group in college. So I wanted to, once I was out of that group, because I graduated college, I wanted to keep doing acapella. Uh, my wife and I had met previously, and we decided to start recording stuff. So we do mostly acapella covers on YouTube. That means with like the beatboxing, the vocal bass, all that stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's really fun living here in Utah and, and doing that. And we enjoy living here in Utah and doing our podcasting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Peas of a pod. Uh, yeah. Um, I came across you guys uh, because you, I think relatively recently you did a video and it was a mashup from Moana and Hercules, right? Yeah, we were really excited about that. So I hadn't even seen Moana um, when I heard this song, How Far I'll Go. And I thought, wow, that just reminds me so much of the Hercules song, Go the Distance. We're like we should, you know, make a mashup, How Far I'll Go the Distance. And I still hadn't even seen the movie Moana. And we're like, yeah, we'll just put that on the back burner. And then I saw the movie and I saw how popular Moana is right now and, and how much people love Disney anyway. And I thought, man, we've got to, you know, push this forward. So we sat together here right where we're sitting right now and wrote the arrangement out, recorded <laughs> it also in our little closet here and got it filmed. And it's just it's taken off pretty great. It's kind of fun that we're talking about Little Mermaid because – um, since I've been so obsessed with Moana lately, I'm seeing a lot of parallels between the two Disney princesses. Mm -hmm. it, it's a good one for comparison and some interesting connections because um, Lin-Manuel Miranda did the music for Moana and he is going to be a big part of Disney's live action adaptation of The Little Mermaid. So what? Some, I didn't even future... know that was confirmed already. That's I, I awesome. think, I mean, Kestra and I at least have talked about it. So if it's not confirmed, <laughs> then we have been 
we have been Misled. stung by the rumor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, um, but I, that, that was our understanding. Yeah, we were reading up on him a little bit last night, and he apparently loved The Little Mermaid. He like ditched school to go watch it growing up, and he bought the VHS and would watch it tons. And he said that it was integral to his music writing for Moana. Now, uh, you know, little. Little side thing here. If you hear little baby screams in the back, we we haven't taken you no hostage. We we have a baby. Uh, we have a one year old. She'll be one in three days, and so she's just in the room banging on stuff and screaming. Don't don't mind her. Yeah, it's you know it's it's a uh, a hazard of of <laughs> wanting to do some of this work from home, but also have a family. <laughs> exactly. And, and Kestra and I are, are planning on having a baby soon, so we will probably be facing similar challenges at some point. <laughs> yep. Um, but let's let's get into this minute. You guys, especially considering that you are uh, musicians and, and musically inclined, this is a great week for you guys. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Love this song. Love the voice. Um, I mean, do you want me to talk about it now, or we get to it? In a well, minute, we'll, we'll get in little bit by little bit. You don't want to. You don't want to burn it through it all today. <laughs> it's it's like right. a four minute song, so we've we've got time. But uh, we didn't even plan that. We just um, reached out to you guys, and it happened that we were scheduling the next uh, next spot, and so you guys got lucky. But I'm very happy nice. that we got um, you know full on singers musicians for a song like this. Oh, Most yeah. of the time, iconic. Uh, we're, we're just getting podcasters. This we, is we, a, uh, I'm the only musician. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Who's talking about the music and stuff. So. <laughs> Glad to give you some support. <laughs> yes. So we get our first big look at the cavern, Ariel's cavern. It, does it have a different name, Kester? Is it just. Ariel's grotto. Is I feel like cavern's better. Grotto. And it's huge. I never noticed how big it is. She has been collecting this stuff for probably years. Well, uh, based on the animated series, about two years, because in the towards the end of the first season of the animated series, she begins her collection and finds her her space, uh, and and it's all it all starts with a boot. Oh, interesting. Which was actually Prince Eric's boot. Yes. What it was Prince Eric's boot? Boom. But she didn't know that it. She never saw his face. She only saw the back of his head. Yeah. That's it. So she never. Oh. Knew it was Eric, but but this I mean I would be very impressed if this is all in two years of collecting because that is there yeah, is a ton of stuff yes a lot and a lot of it's very big so I don't know how she pulled this off yeah <laughs> yeah especially if Scuttle was helping out with some of it you know the Scuttle's just dropping it in and, <laughs> and like, Flounder can't really Flounder can't help carry a grandfather clock into there no no, <laughs> no. we we did. We did notice as we were, as as the camera was panning down, that everything seems to be organized in a certain way. More towards the bottom. Mm-hmm. More towards yeah. the bottom. But there, yeah. there's a scheme. But there's like a whole bookshelf, and then there there's hourglasses next to a clock. clock. Somehow she determined that clocks are for keeping time, just like hourglasses, I guess. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, yeah, I guess she would have had to think that one through. I love how well these are all, like, keeping, maintaining underwater, too, like when she opens a book, you know, and all these things are not, (laughs) you know, affected by the water. (laughs) Maybe she polishes them, cleans them off, I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure how they're so well maintained, (laughs) but they they seem to be in in good condition. But yeah, we we were kind of struck by how well she has it organized, which made me wonder, 
does she spend a lot of time here or is it just a, a dropping off thing? Like, does, is she obsessed about this and wanting to catalog it and keep everything in order? So she's like, I know where my thingamabobs are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I could totally see that. I mean, if you think of any typical like 16-year-old teenager, like most of us have a little hideaway, you know, a place where we need to get away from our authoritarian father. And I could totally see her sneaking off to this all the time. I don't know how Sebastian didn't figure out about it like earlier, but like it totally would make sense that she comes here all the time. I think, mm-hmm. in fact, in the animated series, Sebastian did see her put the shoe think, in this in this cave. I think so. It might have been uh, a different. It might have been smaller, and then she yeah, moved I'm not things sure. to a different. But I'm not. We sure. we have not finished watching the animated series. <laughs> <laughs> so get back to us on on that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, it jumps into the song pretty quickly, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's staring at the dingle hopper, and. And then she starts singing. Yeah. Like, well, she sets soon. it. She sets it into the right. candelabra. Yeah. Yes. Which is not where it belongs. It's not <laughs> where it belongs. But she puts it between a fork and a spoon, or a, a knife, knife and, and a spoon. spoon. Right. Okay. How would you have oriented if you had a knife, a spoon, and a fork, and a three-pronged candelabra? Is, would you have put the fork in the center? Uh, no, I'd put the knife. It's like that's the what tallest. I think. It's yeah. yeah I don't know. It seems like the only way to balance it. <laughs> but but with that, then what does she think the knife and the spoon are? What did Scuttle tell her the knife and the spoon are? And what right. do they do? Because the, the, the fork is a dingle hopper. Which is for which, straightening the hair. But right. not really. You know, he makes a hair. On that topic. It. <laughs> it's like, where did she get all the names for these? Because she's going through like... Gadgets and gizmos and who's it's, who's it's and, and what's, what's it's. It. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. it, are those actual what? names? Like literal names? That they, she came up with? or She's got them distinguished. They're separated, you know, and like, she she doesn't refer to a who's it as a what's it. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the show, the boots were thingamajiggers. And <laughs> she doesn't have thingamajiggers listed in this song. So I think they were careful to keep them separated okay but she also knows correct names for some things like fire that was what i was thinking streets but that's later why those (laughs) what do you call Um, them again oh the thingamabobs that you walk on i don't know but i did i was listening to the commentary i think it was the commentary that i was listening to where i found this information but uh on our dvd copy and it it said that yeah it was the commentary now that i'm remembering correctly uh, and it said that they had some they had some suggestions for changing lyrics and song and the song for, for Howard Ashman, but he had no desire to change anything except for one thing that he gave in on, which was originally in the lyrics, she she was singing about leather and China, and 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 their purpose and what they do exactly, and then it was a John Musk and Ron Clements and um, Alan Menken who came to him and were like, Howard, um, there's there's an issue here because she's getting all this information from Scuttle, who is a bird who does not know everything correctly. And so then he changed it to thingamabobs and... Huh. Okay. Wow. And stuff. That's all I know, but I don't know like but how I- they would get that information like how she would have gotten those yeah. names but exactly it also like part of 
sort of the iconography of Ariel's character is not knowing what human things are actually called. Like it's, mm-hmm. it is one of those elements. Like if you are being Ariel, it's misunderstanding all this human stuff. <laughs> but she it's knows part some. Of the, it's part of her character. Yeah, she knows some. And I guess I don't know where the line is drawn. Like what's <laughs> right. what's so fundamentally different about feet, streets, and fire that she can know what those are called, but not but forks, not. <laughs> knives, and and corkscrews. Especially, especially because in the animated series, in in the TV, in the the episode where she see where she gets Eric's boot, she says that it's where they put their fins. So it's within these two years that she's she's found out that that those are called feet, not fins. So I guess that's evidence of like a pretty admirable curiosity. Like Mm -hmm. trying to learn is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As you get it from her books, maybe, and they have pictures, maybe pictures with, with feet, with words. the words pointing to. Of course, does she? I, mean, read? I, I don't it's, know. It's possible. Well, they read music. <laughs> they do read music. Well, that's true. Sebastian composes music, so it, there is some degree <laughs> of writing and reading at play. So maybe they do, and and they seem to have a common verbal language with the humans. So maybe they have mm. a common written language in some degree. Maybe. Well, then you just have to wonder what they eat, because obviously they don't use forks. Or yeah. knives, or spoons. We what saw do they them, eat with? We saw them eat. There, There's at least a few scenes at a table, and I'm sure they must have been careful to not have forks there. Huh. So that it wouldn't make sense. But in the what? animated series, yeah, there were, there were scenes with the family at the dinner table, and now I can't remember what, they, what the table setting was yeah. like. I think, I, I feel like they had a salad. Maybe they were doing like like seaweed wraps? <laughs> it's all finger foods. Wait. Now, how did they not think that the fork was a miniature trident? <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we talked about that one too. It's like, <laughs> okay. it looks like a tiny trident, which is a very powerful magical weapon. You should be afraid of that. <laughs> I wonder what this is. It looks like a trident. It looks like what my father has. What can he use that for if it's not magical? Well, he can poke things with it. <laughs> um,. But but then we lose, you know, like, the fundamental characteristics of Ariel. Right. So I, I kind of let that one slide, because as a character, <laughs> it, it works for her. Right. Um, my other note before we actually get into the song is that throughout this whole song, I'm, I'm kind of surprised, the colors are really muted, and it's not like her iconic shades of red, green, and purple. All, like, her purple is blue throughout this whole song. The only thing that's bright is is her hair and and it's Sebastian's, still muted and sebastian's it's not red as, it, it's not and as it's, bright yeah it's not as bright but it's still it's still the brightest color yeah uh but flounder looks so dull he looks so sick he looks gross his <laughs> yeah. yellow is all green and pale it's like ugh. And, and her bag which is sitting at the bottom of the cavern on a platter with the snarf black yeah it has now turned into background stuff it's now gray huh. and like everything is just so dull and muted. So by the end of this week, we know that it's because this is all done by moonlight. So this is nighttime, nighttime. Right. Mm. Okay. So we, we've we had like a time shift when she was getting yelled at. It must have been late. And so this is all moonlight, which I guess is a good excuse. But it's also like, that's pretty bright for being moonlit. Moonlight, yeah. Right. Hmm. I, you know, it, it's just a testament to how careful the animators were. When they're, they they thought of the time of the day. And, you know, also she's 
inside this tiny little space, not much light's going to get in there, so it'll be muted. Which, again, is, a, you know, kind of surprising that it is as bright as it is if it's moonlight through a tiny little hole at the top of this little grotto cavern. Yeah. Um, so we don't really have a pure explanation for that, but I was I was sort of disappointed when I realized that her her iconic I want song is not in her iconic color scheme. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And we're going to talk about this more in a couple days, but uh, um, in a couple minutes, but um, the her her animation style. There's some. I think there's a number a of different bit. animators going on through yes. the sequence. Um, we since doing Snow White, we've become fairly picky about noticing when a different animator might be in play here, and so <laughs> I think we we spotted a few things. Uh, throughout this minute yeah we saw a couple but not in this minute in the next one so we'll talk about those then one other thing i noticed before the song started that i was so surprised by and i, I guess a uh, little mermaid was probably the first but disney likes collections in general i mean you think of a lot of other movies a lot of characters have collections it in toy story there's that whole woody's roundup collection uh think about wally and his like collection of items as he was left behind and I mean, Wally basically is Ariel in this. Yeah, in this wow. <laughs> wow. Totally. Why and didn't they have a VHS tape of The Little Mermaid for him to play? <laughs> right. <laughs> and and like Tomatoa and Moana, he is all about collecting shiny things. That's the stuff that he loves. And, and his environment about- for it. It's very similar to Ariel's. Yes, exactly. And then even the new Disney Pixar movie that's coming out in the fall, we've been watching everything we can about that. Coco, the mm-hmm. main boy Miguel, he has this little collection for Ernesto de la Cruz, the guy that plays the guitar that he likes. And that's really all we know is that he has this secret hideout with this huge collection of stuff that maybe his parents don't know about. I don't know. It's kind of like with Ariel, she has this secret collection. So I just, I've been noticing this pattern in so many Disney movies. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, it, it is a recurring element um, to, to, build up all this stuff um which is i guess just an easy visual way to represent like what's important to the character and not having to say it they can show it yeah mm-hmm. but it's a good uh it's a good way of doing that right okay enough stalling we should get into the, the song, song. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i've been able to sing every lyric to this song for years and i don't even remember sitting down and like memorizing them it's just so iconic yeah definitely i i I feel like i'm in the same boat (laughs) i don't remember ever not knowing the song word by word we we've talked a little bit about this for this movie it has like the largest number of songs that are that iconic like powerful show-stopping songs uh of like any movie ever Mm -hmm. basically like there are four big songs in this one that are just pure and iconic and like you can't you can't not know them yeah at this point and this is the first one yeah i teach voice lessons and a girl she's 12 she just tried out well she just finished the play but she had tried out to be in the chorus for a play up at sundance in our area and this was the song that she wanted to audition with and so i thought it was really cool like when i was you know, watching over these minutes last night, like, hey, I just, you know, revisited this song recently, helping this girl prepare for her audition with it. It's like every girl's like, that was her number one choice of her whole huge Disney book was, I want to sing part of your world. It's, I mean, 
I don't know if it's, well, I, I know it's not my favorite song in this movie, but I can't deny that it is an important song in the Disney canon. And uh, so after Kester and I finished recording for Snow White Minute, uh, we took a trip to Disney World. And while we were there riding the bus back to our our hotel one night, we were uh, by Sitting a family. Next to a family. Yeah. And, and so... Um, and they had two little girls and one of them was just passed out and the <laughs> other one was so tired, but she started singing part of your world and she nailed it. She was probably like seven, maybe. maybe. And we, were, we were talking with them for a, a bit and getting to know her and a little bit. And then her mom, I think, was like, you should she sing a song. Like, prompted her. Like, you should sing a song, because she was starting to be like, I'm really tired, and, mm-hmm. I, like, when are we going to get back to the hotel? Like, it was, it was late. This it was child really deserved late. to be tired. <laughs> yes. This is after the fireworks and yes. everything. Yes, and, and she started singing part of your world, and she, like, sang it. She sang the whole thing. The whole thing. Oh, probably cute. missed, like, only, like, two words. And she corrected herself. And she corrected herself, and she was... She was darling. It was so adorable. Oh. Yes. Yeah, just they, they connect she, with and, it. And just like, uh, yeah, like just her her little girl voice, but she's like, no, I'm like into this. <laughs> yeah, she was she was darling. It was one of our favorite moments from our whole trip. Aww. And, so, okay, you go, go ahead. Oh, so as, you know, singers and especially doing the Moana song recently, I love to compare Disney princesses and their different voices. And I do all the research on who is the actual singing voice of this Disney princess and looking all that online. And the singing voice for this is Jody Benson. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you guys done research on her and who she is? A, a little bit. Yeah. And she is. she's the regular voice for Ariel as well. She's one of the... Right. The... I guess it's maybe 50-50 that have um, full right, voice versus voices. separate. Right. Yeah. So she, I did some research on her, and she got this role for Ariel when she was about 27 years old, um, which is my age right now. And that was so cool to realize because... Um, I kind of think sometimes that I'm starting to plateau that, you know, my glory days were back in college or end of high school when I was in choir and actively doing all these things. And, you know, now I'm older and I'm a mom and maybe things aren't, you know, as good. But that's when Jody got her huge break. She was doing stage acting beforehand and she knew Howard Ashman through um, some stage thing and so he thought she would be perfect for the role and she auditioned for it got the part and she was 27 and um she's gone on to do tons of other things and even just regular voiceover she's actually the voice of barbie on toy story which i didn't realize and so i thought that was so cool that you know this voice she also has such a great voice that she can sound young enough to be 16 to relate to all the young girls listening to the voice but still have so much maturity and um, training in her sound. Right. And I mentioned this last week, I think, but I, I, I can't remember who the actual person was. I'd have to go back through my notes and that would take a while. But uh, w- there was another person who was seriously considered for Ariel. And then she was d- dropped because her voice sounded too, too young. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, and then Jody Benson's voice, and I think she was younger, uh, or about the same age as Jody Benson, maybe a little younger. And then Jody Benson's voice was like 
the perfect voice for Ariel. It, it's, mm-hmm. it is just right. <laughs> yes. I can't imagine someone else. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't either. Um, and I think it's, it, I think especially for Ariel, it's very important that her acting voice be the same as her singing voice because her singing voice and her voice in general is such a crucial part of this film. And later on, um, Jody's also the voice of Vanessa, uh, Ursula's human form, because it's supposed to be her same voice. That's right. Yeah. But but she gets to perform like this completely different type of character and get to get she gets to be nasty for a couple scenes. And, <laughs> That's and awesome. so it must have been so fun for Jody to do uh, all of this work in this film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. And then jo- Jody has a cameo in Enchanted. And in that, she's a secretary, and um, in that scene, Giselle almost swallows a fish, and and like this is so weird. <laughs> like Jody's face was like, "This is disgusting," but I'm like, "You're Ariel." Like this is so weird to see. I, that's amazing. <laughs> I know, and so Disney definitely like capitalized on this song. I know there was one of the VHS releases. Um, the whole credits instead of having like a medley or anything they just had this song for the credits like an expanded version of this song mm. expanded so, version i think i don't know if it was in fact expanded but more it cool was, we made up names just like the singer on the beach like walking along the beach with the credits rolling along the side like it's <laughs> like you should find the video and yeah. and see like part of your world uh VHS credits version or something. I'm sure it's available online to to watch, but it it was actually disappointing to me because I got used to a version that had Under the Sea as part of the credits. Which our version now has Under the Sea as part as part of the credits. So we'll talk about that when we get to the credits. In... Or or Under the Sea. <laughs> in not that long. There's some close together songs through this one. It's true. But yeah, this song is crucial to little mermaid's success certainly and it is really iconic and just such a good song to listen to even though like ultimately it ends kind of sadly mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's kind of a downer yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> well and then there's the reprise but this whole song actually never says part of your world it's part of that world right but then in the reprise what? she says part of your world what uh, mm-hmm. it's only in the reprise yep <laughs> Well, all right. My, my childhood is ruined. I feel cheated. <laughs> um, so I, I want to talk. Unless you guys have specific lines from this part, um, of of the song that you want to talk about, I have a few things on the animation work. Go for it. Okay. Uh, my first one is. Okay, Sebastian's eyes and the glasses. I <laughs> hate that gag in cartoons. <laughs> it is probably my least favorite cartoon gag. Is like glasses and then just like the eyes completely filling it in. It's like not his how eyes glasses work. That, but it's not how glasses work, even unless these are especially thick. And also, right. like Sebastian's eyes aren't far enough apart like that. Right. And then they make like the blinking sound. I'm like, I don't like this gag right here. Right. Do, you, do you have glasses? I do not. I do. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I just that sounds that sounds like a personal pet peeve. <laughs> no. no, I just like it's it's probably been the cartoon gag that I just have cared for the least in my entire life. It's like <laughs> I don't I don't well and also like 
I don't think it's funny to make fun of someone for wearing glasses. Like, making fun of glasses isn't great because, like, no, people need glasses to, like, see effectively. So mm-hmm. it's, like, a legitimate safety thing. Let's not make that a, a joke. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and you so notice. I'm, Go ahead. I, I just, like, I just, I don't know. But this this gag, because it's in so many things, especially cartoons, yeah. just, like, like glasses, haha, blink, blink. Like, <laughs> no, like, people just use glasses, okay? It's fine. <laughs> They're not magnifying glasses. And he's like the comic relief through this song for all the like, you know, nine-year-old boys are like, oh, gross, a girl singing or whatever. And so they like make it over the top gag. And we notice, you know, the the few animations throughout this song that are Sebastian having his own little crisis going on. Yeah, I have more to say about that later when we get to some of the other ones. (laughs) I I do have a couple of things about Sebastian. Um, For this moment? Yes. Okay. Well, one for his eyes. So in the film, uh, his eyes are white, as you can most definitely see. Well, he, do- he doesn't have a colored right. portion to his eye. Yes. They're just white and black. White and black, yes. But in a lot of merchandise, not every merchandise, but in the majority of merchandise, the it's it's yellow and black, not white and black. What? I'm trying to think through some of the merchandise. Yeah, me too. I, I, I even went online on the Disney store to look... Add some stuff, and it, some stuff. it comes and yellow. The, the majority of them are, are, are like yellow. how yellow, like yellow, like flounder, or yellow, like off white. M- more off white, but it's definitely a yellow. Oh, okay. Well, that's disappointing. I think the. I mean, I would always think of him with the white um, portion, right, instead of a yellow. But I don't doubt that that is in fact the case. I trust your research. Thank oh you. my goodness! Googling it right now. This is in fact true. What? <laughs> We can confirm. (laughs) And then the other thing is the animator specifically had Sebastian in this song and in this scene to add some tension so that we're not just watching a girl dream about. Sing her I want song, her really, really important personal motivation song for a character that is going to be silenced for half of this film. Yes, they they wanted they wanted. We don't want to draw attention. too much attention to our titular character, the Little Mermaid. Yes, let's distract. They wanted tension so that so that they're like, she's gonna get found out and and th- bad things are gonna happen to her and and stuff. Okay, I. I was going to save it for later, but let's just jump into this. I feel like having Sebastian detracts from this song. I agree. Mm-hmm. Do you guys agree? Well, yeah. And Disney does this a lot. I actually, the reason I hadn't seen, I mentioned earlier, I hadn't seen Moana yet when we thought of the song we were doing was because the commercial was all of these little gag things going on with the chicken and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like Disney does this a lot. They put in all the funny stuff to appeal to like a certain audience. I'm like, you're cheapening the whole moment. And and so, yeah, I was thinking that with the Sebastian parts through with its spectacles. You know, I I don't know. I don't think it ruins it for me. I Because I, you're the boy. Uh, I like the <laughs> funny stuff. No, it um, the more I've done live shows and live performances and studied performance, it uh, it to me shows that because if you get an audience like too down or too. And the, the, the audiences don't like to spend a lot of time there in general, like maybe some people do, but uh, they kind of need a release of tension, which is why often you'll see like when uh, speakers get into like a really down or, or even like a poignant moment, the next thing they'll do is they'll they'll crack a little joke or a tiny something and you feel really free to laugh. And so I don't know, it, it kind of does 
cheapen it because it maybe happens too often. But I see why they didn't want to just have this, uh, you know, five minute long nap for all the boys and and everyone. Yeah, you know, they, and I guess they wanted the, to put it in that. I guess there's a tough balance because I know, like, in Hollywood, there is like a I'm going to call it like a clinical fear of sincerity and, <laughs> and earnestness in a lot of cases, and it it does diminish the power of some sequences. And I understand, especially for something that is directed towards kids, you have to maintain attention and you're you're trying to, you know, get your four quadrants and everything. And so you want to keep the boys entertained because their older sister is coming to this movie and their parents are like, well, we're not paying for two different movies. So you're sitting through this, too. And so I, I understand, like, that appeal. But I think this sets a precedent that leads to, I mean, I mean, this was almost 30 years ago that this song was happening and and they were animating this stuff and putting in these jokes and it has gotten much, much worse. And I, like, I, I might get flack for this, but like, I'm going to harp against Joss Whedon a little bit because he, I don't think he's capable of filmed sincerity. <laughs> I he, like, he undercuts all feeling. I, I think Joss Whedon is terribly cynical. Um, and I know that like in his, in his personal life, he's an existentialist. And so he, he doesn't necessarily believe in meaning in, in a lot of things. He doesn't believe in um, certainly like a, a metaphysical higher meaning um, in a lot of cases. So he, uh, he undercuts moments that would kind of fuel this deeper meaning of things. And he, and he pushes comedy into it. And it's one of the reasons that I think in, um, and like the Avengers films, I think Joss Whedon is the worst possible person to write Captain America because Captain America is pure sincerity. Um, and and so I, I I can't get behind a, a Captain America written by Joss Whedon, but I can get behind a Captain America written by the Russo brothers, who also are using a similar type of comedy to to undercut moments. But I think they actually do it in the opposite direction. Instead of having a serious moment and undercutting it with comedy they take a comedic moment and then they make sure that they're clear when they undercut it with the sincerity and the seriousness of what's going on. And for an example, in, in Captain America winter soldier, there's a moment where he jumps out of plane without a parachute. Um, after saying like all, all of his friends are dead. Basically he makes a joke about all my friends are dead. And then he jumps out of the plane without a parachute. And somebody says, did he just jump out of this plane without a parachute? And so like kind of chuckles and nods. And he says, yeah, and then they let that they they let that joke hit, and then they cut to basically a silent shot of him diving into the water, and it's like, oh, he's reckless because his friends are dead and he has difficulty caring. So they take this this kind of comedic setup where he's he's rough and he's kind of cavalier and he jumps out of things, and then they give you enough of a beat to say like, oh, there's kind of a darkness to that, and so they go comedy and and cut it with you know sadness and sincerity. Instead of taking sincerity and cutting it with comedy. Right. Hmm. Uh, and so I feel like in this moment, I, I want, at least as an adult, um, I want to experience like the full sincerity of this moment, especially because this is a character who's not going to be able to express her sincerity very much. Um, and having cutaways to a separate character who's not really involved in this moment uh, for a comedic beat, I think is detrimental to her moment you know i um, hope they in the live action version kind of play more to some of these themes because there there are some really deep and meaningful themes in this whole movie that i'm sure you guys have touched on and will 
in future minutes. And uh, they do. They get uh, kind of cartooned over, in a sense, uh, as you were saying. And when they tend to do live-action remakes of films, they they go into a lot of more... uh, you know, like in Beauty of the Beast, they, they you know they wrote more backstory given, but they kind of touched on some of the more uh, deep emotions and feelings more so than in the cartoon. And so I wonder if in the live action remake they're going to include more of that. I I wouldn't be surprised, especially for um for making a live action version of this film in in this age in this in this like time frame culturally, uh, and and considering that the issue Ariel's dealing with is. Um, you know, transitioning her identity. I think that would be something that they lean into quite a bit to to create um, some identification for audiences who are feeling, you know, concerned about their identity and, and self-identification and things like that and wanting to possibly transition from uh, being, being you know, closeted homosexual or, or closeted pansexual or, or, you know, any number of things or, or transgenderism. All of those kinds of things are the sort of things that a lot of people feel isolated and um, feel like they're isolated from the world they want to be in. And then they are seeking a transition into that. And and so I wouldn't be surprised if they play into things like that, that that mm-hmm. identity transition yeah. um, theme, because oh, sure. it's, yeah. it's, it's a completely different scenario now than it was 30 years ago, uh, as far as audiences are concerned. I am all out of notes. <laughs> I I have so many many notes, but I have to spread them out throughout this week, so I should probably stop and save the rest for. I do have one more note, actually. Do you guys have anything else that you want to get to before we? Not for this minute. Nope. Okay. Well, what a I, I wrote down a bunch of items that we saw in this. Minute. We'll save it for save for it for later. Later, okay. because we're running a little long. The last note I have on on this minute is um. An animation note. She does this thing where she pushes her shoulder forward and pushes her cheek into it. It's a fantastic little animation. Yeah. Um, it's maybe not quite realistic, but it's it's a good animation that feels very real. I want you to know, and Rice it's, and it's, I both did that when you said it. We we just acted it out. <laughs> Kestra did as well. <laughs> it felt good. Um, it felt natural. It's very youthful, like a very young kind of thing to do. Yeah, she has a lot of gestures throughout this song that it's like this is a really human gesture, even if it's not a, like a precisely human anatomy to represent it on. I mean, not just for her being a mermaid, <laughs> but like her proportions are quite, yeah. you know, well, her head's a little too big, her shoulders are a little too slim, and and things like that. But it, it's moments like that that really convey that they put a lot of effort into getting this animation to feel um, a little more real than than some things. Because because they were using a human reference model for a lot of it. Right. That's what I was going to say. But we'll talk more about the live action reference later. Uh, but yeah, she. I feel like a lot of this song was taken directly from... The animation was taken directly from the live action reference. Which is especially crucial for, for a sequence like this where it's like, we're mostly, mostly... I mean, we talked about cutaways to Sebastian, but we're mostly just watching a female character sing... Um, in 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 an underwater environment, which is unique in and of itself, but they need a, a lot of action for her to, um, to be doing while she sings this song. Yep, mm-hmm. definitely. Okay, 
That's all we have for you today, listeners. We are part of Dueling Genre. You can find us and many other podcasts at DuelingGenre.com. There you will also find a link to a Patreon page where you can support all Dueling Genre productions. We are on Twitter and Instagram at DizMinute, on email as DisneyAnimationMinute at gmail.com, and on Facebook at the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society, or Damsels, group. Our guests can be found at... Scott, just go to ScottAndRiceyJoe.com. That would be the easiest. All right, ScottAndRiceyJoe.com. Just so you know, that is spelled Scott, standard way, with two Ts. RiceyJoe is R-Y-C-E-E-J-O, right? Yes. That's correct. Well done. Nice. All right. Uh, we also want to especially thank uh, Star Wars Minute for starting this whole Movies by Minutes thing. Uh, we are really enjoying it, and so we're glad that they got it going a few years back and that they spread it out for everyone to do. Until next time, listeners, thank you for making us part of your world. Bye.